Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programs. The show is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcasted nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Tan Hang Pham. Women on the Line acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge elders past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the land you are hearing us from. On today's Women on the Line, we hear the second half of the 2018 NADOC Week edition of Feminism in the Pub, with the theme, Because of Her, We Can. The panel discussion took place at Trades Hall on Wednesday 4th of July. We hear from Celeste Little, Maureen Muller and Robin Oxley in conversation with panel chair Edie Shepherd. You can listen to the first half of the discussion on our website at 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. For now, we are going to launch right on back in. Edie Shepherd. So question one from me and the Feminism in the Pub crew. Um, how does the intersection, so how does the the multiple experiences of being a woman and also Aboriginal influence the way that you go about your work and activism, but also how does it impact the way that you walk through the world in every way? (laughs) I already answered it. Sorry again. (laughs) Celeste Little. And I'm going to start this by just launching into a boring spiel about myself. I think that's the best way to tackle it. Because um, I was writing and I was, you know, engaging in my various political fields, which is pretty much um, the Indigenous rights movement, feminism and unionism. I was doing, you know, as well as, as, well as a number of others, but they're my three probably main ones. Um, was engaging on all of those. I was writing on all those topics and I started being described as an intersectional feminist and I had no freaking idea what that was. So I had to Google that. Um, got some idea of what people were talking about, which was, you know, that, that the systems, uh, the various systems that exist within our society to oppress people, compound, therefore forcing people who suffer from multiple oppressions down like a a ladder, that's the best analogy that I can think of. So the person who is oppressed by the most most structures, the most systems out there, is the one that is on the bottom of the ladder and therefore the liberation of that person who's sitting at the very bottom ends up benefiting everyone else on the way up. So that's the only way that I could think about it. But... um, But I I wouldn't say that I'm an intersectional feminist. This is my lived life and I don't actually know how to interact with the world without being an Aboriginal woman who is from a working class background. That's, That's what's shaped my experience. That's how I interact with politics. I might have, um, developed my own sort of political theories along the way, but, um, but yeah, that's how we move through society. So, so we see that um, we see in society that you know pretty much all women are demonised continually, um, are displaced by the patriarchy. 
but that certain women, whether it's, you know, because of race or because of ability or whatever else, end up um, being even less important than women who are closest to the dominant powers within society, the white capitalist, patriarchal, cisgender... um, What... um, Sorry, I'm starting to doze off because I have got a cold and I've had beer. Um, (laughs) But, you know, those who tick the most boxes um, do benefit at the top layer of feminism. So it's it's about the fact that we do need to liberate those at the bottom first so that everyone else benefits and... Yeah, I, I don't I don't know how else to describe it. I'm not I, I've never been comfortable with the intersectional being labelled an intersectional feminist. That's just analysis for me, and it's just fairness, and it's just striving through for a just society. And yeah, and you can't it, unless everyone has the same access, and unless everyone's autonomy and liberty and so forth is respected, then we're not going to have that society. Again, I had no idea how to tackle this question. Thanks, Edie. (laughs) It was a joint effort. (laughs) um, I'm really mindful of not eating this microphone too, by the way, so you you don't hear what's in my stomach. Um, I don't really really class myself as an uh, intersectional feminist, but... The more I kind of looked into it, I, I really didn't even class myself as a feminist until I got showed the um, picture of the two surfers in South Africa, one the female and the male, and one won eight, the male won $8,000 prize money and the women won $4,000. And I was like, oh, yeah, that is shit. That is so wrong. It's like, yep, feminist, there we go. I was like, oh, okay, right, yeah, okay, let's, let's own it. Um, they are inadvertently different, I, I believe. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of a history lesson. In Australia, uh, the women's suffragette or suffrage, um, they were granted a national level in 1902. I've got my cheat sheet, by the way, sorry. Uh, in 1967, we were included um, as citizens in our own country. So I guess uh, there's an internal unsettling feeling for me um, as like, we were classed as women before we were classed as being Aboriginal. So that kind of doesn't really sit well with me. Um, when we identify ourselves, we identify as Aboriginal first, not woman. Um, so that's kind of that unsettling feeling where it comes from. Uh, it's also an influence, I guess, with activism, this, the feminist movement. Um, but I just want to say it's not a choice to be an activist. Like, we don't get a choice. We are. That's, that's why we're up here. That's why we're talking we want, you know, we don't get a choice as an Aboriginal person to be an activist. It just comes with our terms of reference, I guess. Um, so I guess the exclusionary funding as well from the government, Abbott government, um, with the, like, um, intersectional of being the Aboriginal and the woman, he, you know, put all the funds together, all the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander funding together, and then all the organisations had to reapply for their funding... And it's just another way to suppress us, I guess. And it doesn't really... I I don't know. It's just this unsettling feeling with me and I'm not really sure where to take it and how to tackle it or how to explain it even. Um, But there are just certain things that just keep pushing us down as Aboriginal women, 
not as a woman, as Aboriginal women. So, yeah. Um, so when I saw this question, I also was like, I don't think I'm a feminist. I don't really know what a feminist is. And to be honest, I don't know if it's the environment I was in, but the name or the label feminist, there were so many people attacking it and saying, like, it's wrong. So then I looked into feminism and I was like, oh, yeah, well, sort of. Um, <laughs> but I, I honestly, I don't call myself a fem feminist because I feel like that gives someone else a reason to attack me. So I am a rain. I'm a strong, proud Aboriginal woman and I will stand up for Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal women. So that's the sort of take I do, I guess, because the people or the, the suburb and the environment I was around was attacking feminism. Um, but I'm going to sort of like take a different angle, um, being Aboriginal and being a woman. So obviously I had no choice about it. Um, but being Aboriginal and being um, a woman, there isn't a clock off time. Um, and you're constantly fighting to set things right for your culture. Um, and it's draining. Like I honestly do not remember in the last four years, not having a young person come to me in crisis or saying, I need help. And that's because I stand up and I do share my story. Um, and that can be quite taxing, I guess. But on the flip side, I'm so proud to be an Aboriginal and to be a woman because I know that I'm part of the longest living culture um, and that my people have survived no matter how hard anyone has tried to abolish us. Um, and I carry that within me, and I know that no matter how challenging or how hard things get, that there is a fight. And even when I can't say it for myself, I'm Aboriginal. Um, and it means that being an Aboriginal woman means that I can do it, and that my ancestors are watching over me, and I know that there's a, a thousand... Oh, actually, that's kind of like too small of a number... But there have been so many people standing up at being Aboriginal and being a woman and that strengthens me and that gives me my self-determination to be able to go and go forth with what I want to do in life and stand up and say that, you know, being a woman is enough. Being a woman is amazing. Being Aboriginal is amazing and no one has the right to put me down or put any other woman or any other Aboriginal person down for being Aboriginal or a woman. I'm going to cheat a little bit and a little bit answer the question too because I've got feelings. Um, I have a lot of them. For those of you who know me, and there's quite a few of you, you know I have a lot of feelings. Um, and I'm going to keep it short and sweet, but what I will say is that the gubs around here, like, and, and settlers seem to think that they invented a whole bunch of shit, right? And I can't speak for every country. I don't know all of your cultures, but I can speak for mine, where we had what I guess we would call a flat structure in our communities. It meant that everyone was pretty equal and you did what you could where you could and you elevated each other up. To me, that sounds 
I mean, a little bit like communism, which is great. Um, but also, <laughs> you're at Trades Hall, get around it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if that ain't feminism, I don't know what it is. Like, especially going off what Celeste was talking about, if you, if you elevate the person at the bottom of the ladder, you are elevating everyone up. So I just want to, like, make it super clear, you gubs did not invent this. Uh, we've been doing it for time immemorial. Mm. saying. <laughs> I just really wanted to add that in. I forgot to add it in at the beginning. Um, but then I remembered about it and I wanted to say it. So thank you for uh, obliging me. But also, you're all welcome. <laughs> Eddie's got some wine now. Um, <laughs> We're all in this boat. <laughs> <laughs> We're all in it together, sisters. <laughs> cool. So, another one that I'm going to say sorry in advance. For. I, I'm just going to put a blanket sorry to all of you now. Why are you saying sorry to the gumps? <laughs> no, I'm, to you guys. Oh. Not to you. <laughs> to you guys, because you have to answer this. Um, so... I'm probably going to repeat this question twice. Often, people who experiencing, experience the compounding intersection of multiple minorities are called on to explain intersectionality and how to fix feminism and movements. How can we have these discussions without placing the onus on those already ca carrying the load and avoiding tokenism? So what I mean by that is, if I had a dollar for every time that I got like a call or a Facebook message. People need to stop sliding into my Facebook to try and get, like, some sort of political guidance, make an appointment. Um, <laughs> but if I had a dollar for every time that I had, like, this well-meaning settler come up to me and be like, hey, Edie, um, I'm really aware that I'm running this event and I don't have any uh, First Nations voices. Can you do a welcome to country? Um, I mean, one, I'm, I'm not from here, so no. And two, I'm capable of more than acknowledging country. And three, why are you thinking about this literally three hours before the event? Um, so, so often in progressive spaces, uh, blackfellas are called upon as tokens, but then also expected to, like, magically fix the problem of the unbearable whiteness of the space. Um, so... I'm not going to ask you guys how we fix that, but um, what I will ask, I guess... Oh, I'm struggling to find words, because wine. Um, is how do we... How do we as black women push back on that without getting... Like, I guess in my question is how do we not get demonised in that pushback, and I suspect that there's no way to avoid that, because people like to... Uh, push us down at any opportunity. But how, how do we in progressive spaces, and by we I mean we, not we, um, actually do better at this and stop asking for fucking welcomes to country <laughs> other than not asking? I, I, I might start and meander if I can. I yeah. just meandered too, so it's fine. Yeah, I'll meander as well. You know, you, in Indigenous spaces, we like storytelling. Um, but I, I, the reason why I wanted to meander is that I wanted to share the experience of one of the worst gigs that I've ever taken part in, if, if that's possible. Um, and I'm not going to name the festival. I'm not going to name the location. But 
but but anyone who can Google my name and all of that, which, you know, my name has got a fair few hits nowadays. So, so you know, I've written about this, in ter- this incredibly terrible gig. And the reason why it was incredibly terrible was that um, I was on a panel where there were... There were six women um, and one anchor, and we were given an hour, and we were supposed to unpack feminism for everyone. Now, that's bad enough, because, because feminism in an hour, like, you know, it doesn't work. But there was, there was an inclusion of myself as an Indigenous woman and an inclusion of um, Roxane Gay as, as, you know, another woman of colour. And we were supposed to be holding up that, um, that end of the discussion, the, the racially diverse end. It felt like that anyway. And at the very beginning of this panel, um, it, it just... I am meandering, I'm really sorry. But at the beginning of this panel, we were asked what we thought, you know, the, the aim of feminism was. And, you know, I straight out came, I straight out came with um, my sort of answer, which is smash the system. I don't actually believe... <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I, you know, I don't actually believe that equality is, you know, possible within this structure. I think that we need a radical reimagining of society in order to bring about equality. <laughs> so anyway, that answer was a little bit too radical for that panel. <laughs> And, and it seemed that, you know, myself and also Roxanne, who were both coming from those sort of perspectives, both ended up being shut out of that conversation by the anchor. So there was a period where I was sitting on the stage for about 45 minutes where I was never deferred to, never spoken to, and everything, all the conversations went directly around me. And if that wasn't bad enough, so I sat there awkwardly until I got a word in towards the end. If that wasn't bad enough, there was a follow-up article about that panel, which was essentially... A, and I was named as Celeste Little, a woman from Alice Springs. Yeah, I'm... Yeah, I've never lived in Alice Springs, despite having that heritage. Um, so it was, you know... There wasn't even enough care taken to find out who I was and where I lived and all of that sort of stuff. But, but the entire article then bagged out the, the radical ideas that we had about feminism with regards to the fact that they thought, this, this anchor thought, that we were past these radical ideas, that we were more about talking these more liberal feminist ideas around people on boards and... I don't know all these all these you know really capitalist structures that are never going to sit well with me anyway. Um, so yeah, yeah, that was about the worst one, and I have meandered around that. And I think my point with that is that you know if you're going to if you're going to have the foresight to get an Aboriginal woman to sit on a panel, actually give her the time to have a voice and actually respect what she's saying. Um, if you're going to have you know. Aboriginal women and women of colour respect that they're going to have different views on on blackness, on culture, on whatever else, and that we're not just there to fill a quota so that something else looks diverse. Here's a real challenge. 
If you're going to have any panel, try having like multiple Aboriginal women on a panel because it has been so rare that I have sat on any panels and been anything other than the single Aboriginal voice. And I am not the view of Aboriginal Australia. I am Celeste Little who has these opinions. Like, you know, we're a diverse, incredibly politically knowledgeable group of people and there is a real benefit to the rest of society to engage in those discussions. You're going to learn from the discussions more than you're going to learn from just hearing from me. So that's the challenge. Collectivise the voice. Shit. <laughs> I did the ranting thing. Robin right. Axel. Um, well, I, I was going to quote Mick, what Mick Dodson said today uh, in the press club um, about fixing things and apply it to feminism. Uh, he basically asked, is it the job of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, uh, institutions as well, to address white racism? And he answered it really well. No. Um, We can't fix your racism, but we can help you fix it. Own it, do something about it, and we will help you. And that's one of the biggest things that I always get told. Oh, we want to help. We want to help. No, no. Help yourself. Help your, your people. We don't need help. We don't need fixing. Absolutely not. We've never needed fixing. Another word that I um, really can't stand is consultation. I think it is the biggest tokenistic bullshit word I have ever heard in my life. Um, in that, like, I am a huge advocate for inclusivity. I want, I want to be included in the beginning of a process. I don't want to be given it to the end and gone, oh, we've got this big problem now with blackfellas. You're a blackfella, you fix it. No, that's not how it works. I want to be at the start of the process. I want to make decisions on my people. I don't want you to do it and then give me the problem at the end. So that's a big dirty word for me. Um, I guess the, the whole process of consultation, it needs to change. We remain a marginalised group if, if we continue on this path of, a path of consultation. Um, and we're in our own country. We shouldn't be marginalised. We're the oldest living culture, Aboriginal culture in the world, as Moraine said in the last two questions ago. Um, so I guess it's very simple for me. We, we don't fix it. It's not our problem. We are not the problem. White people, they need to fix their own issues first, and that starts with feminism. Marine Muller. So I've had quite a few people come to me and say, how bad can it really be? Um, yeah, so just, like, I'm, I'm young, and you think, like, the world sort of changes. 2009, at a Catholic school, and they wanted Aboriginal um, students to be part of this event. And I was one of the fairer kids. Um, then they went to go take a photo for the newsletter. I got pulled off the photo 
because they, it was said to me that it's going to be printed in black and white and no one can tell that you're Aboriginal oh. in 2009. So, yeah, when I share that, people are like, what the fuck? And I'm like, yeah. But the way I see going forward is imagine you've, you're going to uni and you're taking interest in a subject. You get into a classroom and you have an open mind to learning. Every single person there is going to have their views and their opinions, but at the end of the day, you're there to learn. And I can't, or any Aboriginal person, can't change the views that people have, but people can change their views by having an open mind. And when I say listening and having an open mind, it's not picking and choosing what you want to hear or what you kind of agree with and then forgetting what you don't agree with because at the end of the day, it's Aboriginal people's story. You can't change someone else's feelings. You can't change someone else's beliefs. And if we turn into an Australia where everyone is sitting in that classroom together and learning from each other, that will make massive change in my eyes. Um, and it's also about, in the whole picking and choosing what you want to hear, it's not, as you guys said, it's not our responsibility, but I know, I can only speak for myself, and I am okay to share my story, but it doesn't mean, as it's been said, it doesn't mean that my story is everyone's stories. Someone's willingness to um, share their story or share their knowledge, and then you go to the person beside there can be completely different but the fact is that we've been through intergenerational trauma. We've been through rapes, we've been through murders, we've been tried to be wiped out, and you can't, you can't expect everyone to have exactly the same response. And if you're wanting to learn and even make an event up and have an Aboriginal person there, you're not gonna be sitting there and telling them what they need to do for, to share their culture. Their culture's their culture. And you need to be willing to walk beside them, not in front of them, not behind them, beside them, and walk with that journey. And yeah, I think we all just need to have open, mind, open minds and willing to change. Like, the way I see it is I grew up in a house where I learnt from my parents, and my parents learnt from their parents. And just because my parents learnt from their parents and I've learnt from my parents doesn't mean that's right. We have the power within ourselves to educate ourselves and change our views. And it doesn't mean that if you change your view on Aboriginal people or any issue, that you're going against your, your parents or your community. It means that you're standing tall for yourself and you're being the best version of yourself. Women on the Line. Women on the Line is one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programs. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcasted nationally on the Community Radio Network. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email at womenontheline at gmail.com. Our programs can be downloaded from our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash womenontheline. And don't forget you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by Latigra. Thanks again for listening to Women on the Line. I've been your host, Tan Hang Pham, and tune in again next week. <laughs>